0: If you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at live on four legs podcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at liveonfourlegspod. Pod.
1: We're, We're talking to you. What do you want to know? They said don't give me no lips, so don't
0: talk back. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr.
1: Stone Gossel! Fucking Cameron in the drum Mr. Boom Gasper. You can call me Al, you can call me Ed You just, just fucking call me, why do you
0: Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast, and today we are going to do something pretty different. It might not seem different, but it's different as to what we've done in the past, because this is a tour year in 2007 that really doesn't get a lot of discussion. We did exactly one show from this tour year, and that's because it was Vic Theater. So, that's understandable. It's a big show. We did that very, very, very early on, but we've kind of neglected this year, and there's a lot of reasons as to why. It's not, like, widely remembered, but... Like all other tour years, it does need to get its due. It needs to be talked about, because what is the story if this year isn't involved as well? So thankfully through that, we were able to get a show request in from our patron, Simon, and that's why we're here today to give you London from 2007. And oh yeah, John's back. So let's get some stories from him. Randy Sobel over here, John Ferrar over there.
2: Oh, yeah, it's good to be back.
0: Good to have you back. So you told me before we started that you learned a lot about Godzilla while you were gone. Can you give us three interesting Godzilla facts? Ooh, um,
2: there's more than one Godzilla. There's been many of them. There's a new Godzilla movie coming out this year a Japanese-made Godzilla movie people are very excited about called Godzilla Minus One. And Godzilla has a son whose name is alternately Minya or Manila.
0: Okay, those are three things that I didn't know.
2: Yeah, I was in Chicago last week, not doing Pearl Jam things, unfortunately, but took my kids to Godzilla Fest and hung out there. So yeah, we had a good time.
0: Did you do anything in Chicago that wasn't Godzilla Fest? We went to see
2: The Bean downtown very, very quickly, but that was about it. didn't have time to do much else. But yeah, thanks to Patrick for stepping in and joining up. That was a good listen.
0: Absolutely. No, that was a great episode. Tim and I were talking about it and big thanks to Tim as well who requested it and came Uh, on and joined us. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it was just a really good one. That's the kind of show that I feel like is the Live on Four Legs wheelhouse right there. A show that Is really really good that just gets almost wasted behind other shows because other shows were more popular in a time period and also like this show that we're about to talk about and most of 2007 there are no bootlegs there wasn't a bootleg for London Ontario in 2013 who knows why no idea but I think that kind of goes into why people really didn't talk about that show a whole lot and I've heard a lot of response after the fact that people were like whoa i'm so glad that you did this one this has always been one of my favorite shows and even people being like i never heard anything about this show this is now on my radar and that's a good thing we're all supposed to listen to as much as we can intake as much as we can and that's why today we present you with a 2007 show so When you think of Pearl Jam in 2007, the first thing that might come to your head is that, okay, it's a follow-up year from Avocado. They did exactly 14 shows, 12 of them being in Europe on this little European run, mostly little festivals that they did here and there. And then they did the Vic, as mentioned before, and Lollapalooza in Chicago. What really do you think about when you think about this tour year? Because we haven't talked about it a whole lot, so let's lay some information here.
2: Yeah, not much. I mean, it's one of those kind of forgotten years. It's like 2006 they did, got 75 shows, something like that. And then you come back and, like, obviously they're going to need a break. But the record is still kind of fresh. So in 2007, just a handful of shows and, like, No bootlegs. It reminds me a lot of 2004, like the vote for change stuff where the shows are very, very political. You're getting some very pointed, timely things, which doesn't always translate to here we are, you know, 16 years later. But yeah, I mean, the end of the Bush era, so that stuff is still very fresh, and Ed's got that on his mind for sure. And yeah, it reminds me a lot of that, and I, I think that's probably why they chose not to put these out on bootleg, because they knew that they maybe weren't going to hold up, stand the test of time, like some of the other kind of tour years do. But yeah, it's interesting. It's it's a year that we hardly ever talk about. Yeah, we, we, we still haven't done that Lollapalooza show. That's a big one. Yeah,
0: that'll be on our plate for some point in the future, for sure. And I dug into it a little bit, and it seemed like they were in the midst of changing sound systems from 2006 over to 2008. So if you notice, I don't think you can buy a non-digital copy. I don't think you can buy like a CD version of a 2006 bootleg on Pearl Jam's website. And I, I wonder if that has to do with whoever they were using at the time. And because they were in transition to that, maybe that kind of boiled over to 2007 because they said you know what we're not going out on this big 25 30 show tour that maybe this one we don't need it and we can kind of just work on getting it back together for 2008 i don't know i don't know like the official answer to that if somebody does then please get in touch with the hotline live and four likes podcast at gmail.com because this is another mystery machine item that we can go into and dive headfirst into
2: yeah. The no bootleg thing kind of makes it a little bit forgotten. Like you'd never hear people talk about this one of shows. And like I said, we haven't done very many of them. We've got a lot to go. So it'll be interesting to dig into this one and
0: then see when the next one pops up. Well, there is somebody that is interested in shows from this year, and that's because he requested this one. And that's Simon Pountney from England. And he's been a good friend of the show for a couple years now. And we're finally getting to this. I think I told him last year I wanted to do something from 2007 just because it is totally off our radar. And we had something planned. I don't know if it was this show or something else. And then I think other things just kind of got in the way. But thankfully we're doing it now. But more thankfully that we have Simon's story that we get to tell you guys. So, dear Randy and John, first of all, thank you so much for agreeing to do this show request for me. I really appreciate it, and we really appreciate you bringing up something that wasn't on our radar, so thank you, Simon. A little background to my Pearl Jam journey. I first got into them in 1992 with the album 10, and remember the excitement of getting Versus Vinyl on the day of the release. I first saw them in 92 at Finsbury Park, but that was a bit of a blur due to alcohol and a festival vibe. I did not see them again for another 15 years. I carried on buying, and listening to studio releases, but due to family life, bringing up two boys in the 90s, I missed out on seeing more shows, and to be honest, didn't really know what I was missing at the Finsbury Park gig as it was a distant blur. Fast forward to early 2007 and a mutual but painful marriage breakup, I noticed Pearl Jam had a gig at Wembley. Their music was proving to be a real solace and helped with all the shit that had been happening in the last 18 months, so I managed to get a decent ticket, as I wasn't in the 10 Club at that point. I drove down to the gig on my own after finishing work early on a Monday. My friends were no longer into Pearl Jam, and most couldn't believe that they were even still together, never mind doing gigs. One thing I noticed straight away while I was waiting outside the Wembley Arena in the evening summer sun was a real sense of community that a lot of the fans seemed to have. People were from all over Europe and the wider world and seemed to know each other through their love of Pearl Jam music. Inside the arena, I sat next to an Aussie who was over for a few gigs. Wembley Arena is not known for its great acoustics, but this didn't matter. I was just happy to be inside the building. The concert itself was great for me. Things that stand out were hearing Marker in the Sand, as it was my favorite track on Avocado. I've seen Pearl Jam 28 times since and never heard it live again, so please bring it back in 2023. Plus, Present Tense, never get tired of that song. Also, No More was a new song, and I was really pleased to be able to hear the last ever Bush leaguer that had been played live. And I remember the Bush and Tony Blair speech by Ed. At the time, I was surprised that no big hitters like Corduroy River Mirror, or Better Man were played. That is a storyline in this show. Lastly, the end song, Indifference, was a perfect end. I remember leaving the show uplifted, and the show experience gave me hope and optimism at a time where I really needed it. I remember Ed saying that they were happy and relieved to be playing to a friendly audience in London that appreciated them. And he mentioned something about a shitty gig the night before in Austria, and it felt like a celebration as Rockin' in the Free World was played. I consider this show to be my true first Pearl Jam gig, it gave me the fix for more, and I've been a Pearl Jam live addict ever since. I've seen them a further 28 times across Europe, US, and Canada, and met some great people. I've had the total joy of taking my son to see them in Berlin, Stockholm, and Arras, France, and I can't wait to go to Chicago and Indy in six weeks. What I would say about the show from an objective point of view is that from an outside view like yourselves, it's probably not that special. Maybe a 7 out of 10 or even a 6 out of 10 from John. You are. Oh, oh, that's harsh. That's harsh. All right. Well, let's see if you get higher than a 6 on this, I suppose.
2: Yeah, the bar has been set.
0: But to me, it will always be a special gig as it's where my love for Pearl Jam Live started. It's certainly no leads 2014, that's for sure. But because of its personal impact on me at the right time in my life, it gets a near 10 out of 10. Thank you guys for the Live on Four Legs podcast and all the stuff that you do Pearl Jam related. It is really appreciated by a great many of us. And thanks again for listening to my request and covering this show. I look forward to seeing Randy in Chicago. It should be a blast. Yes, it should. I'll talk more about Chicago a little bit later in the show. But once again, big thank you, Simon. That was awesome. Great to tell your story here. But well, wait, he said it
2: gets a near 10 out of 10. So he's not giving it a 10. He's just giving it near to a 10.
0: We gotta yeah, it says there. near. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's like a 9.9. You're going to call me out, 9? Simon. I got to call you out. It's only fair. Yeah. He's right. I'm so glad I could be neutral in this story. <laughs>
2: no, thanks Thanks for your story Simon that's great appreciate it
0: alright well we did a little question of the week this week it's been a while since we've done so and the question was because there is something that happens in the show that is a little odd from a Pearl Jam standpoint and that is worldwide suicide being like the alive in this show being the one that's right before rocking in the free world and Yeah, it's not a normal thing for that song. And really, at this day and age, Alive is always going to be in that spot. So it does feel a little weird whenever there is another song that's interspersed in there, especially something that's not a Ten Era or a big-time song. So I asked the people, what other songs would be interesting to see leading into either Rockin' in the Free World or or Baba? And that kind of goes into the whole idea of bread and butter here where Alive, Rockin', led better. those are the three that are going to get you home. You know, it's, it's the big party moment, but these are a little bit different. John, you got the Facebook stuff ready?
2: Yeah, yeah, I do. I've got one here from Mark Kirby who says, it definitely would have to be a song that invokes crowd participation. So he says, Lightning Bolt, Rearview Mirror, or Love
0: Boat Captain, which is interesting. Lightning Bolt. And here's, I guess, my my thought on the whole thing is that I really do feel like this song should be very anthemic. I think it should be a big eruption kind of moment, and it should really get your crowd excited. And I think that those three do that. Lightning Bolt is going to do that. It's not going to have the same ideas alive, but it's going to get you there. It's going to get people excited, especially if you start to extend that solo and keep it going and maybe throw tambourines in the crowd and and get that intense with it. Then, yeah, River Mirror, obviously, that's that's a no-brainer. Love Boat Captain's interesting, though.
2: Yeah, I don't know about that. Possibly. You go big on the call and response there at the end, maybe. But this is interesting, too, because we saw last year... Rocket in the Free World kind of dropped out of that bread and butter spot, and it was really just alive and led better. So there's room for another song to kind of step in there right now. So it'll be interesting to see how they play that this year.
0: Yeah, it'll all depend on how much time they're allocating for other things. If they're going to do the four or five song, slow burn, sit down set. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of things that are sort of in the way that maybe instead of doing the three, maybe it is just two, but like Ledbetter swapped out for Rockin' or Indifference on an- yeah, any so other then, night, Baba.
2: And we saw them go back to one encore two instead of two, and that makes a big difference? Yeah, of course. Absolutely.
0: I got a couple of pretty decent answers here. Kevin off of Twitter says, State of Love and Trust is the obvious one, and Corduroy would work really nicely too. I was actually at a show where it was State of Love and Trust, Fucking Up, Ledbetter. And I really, really dug that. So that was Chicago of 2009, the second night.
2: Yeah, State of Love and Trust has that kind of weight behind it that like everybody knows that it can be a big moment and everybody's going to sing
0: along. Yeah, that's one that could definitely slide in there. Matt Durda and the high watts, that Matt Durda, he said State of Love and Trust as well, and he added Save You in there. I think that that's a really interesting one. You're revving up your crowd for the end.
2: I like it more late in the main set probably is where it's kind of found its home there. But yeah, that's interesting. I've got Luke Daly who mentions one of my favorite songs, so he's going to get a mention. He says, in my tree, given to fly or do the evolution, which I think you got the no code yield era, which getting some representation late. I think either given to fly or do the evolution. Absolutely. Those songs deserve a spot there
0: at this point. I would not be surprised if do the evolution has already been that in like 1998 or even in 2003 or something like that feels like they would save that for that moment. Well, it's at it's one had a share
2: encore too, Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm not surprised by that at all. How about like, I'm trying to get deep here. Like somebody said, uh, this is from Chet half full. Hmm. Okay. I think you need to sing along. That's my only thing about Half Full. I think you get there anthemically. I think that you have a big, big Mike moment that feels pretty massive to end your night, but... We've had
2: a really good run of them the past few weeks on the show, past couple of months, so it would just need a build-up. You'd need to find somewhere for the crowd to latch onto it, but yeah, as far as Mike's concerned, absolutely. And
0: Zachary Munson says, how about insignificance for that role?
1: Hmm...
2: yeah maybe binaural songs are tough, like that. They've just got a weird vibe to them.
0: Um, I think that falls in the same category as half full to me, like insignificance yeah. is an amazing song, one of my favorites, but yeah,
2: no think, no just on the quality of the song,
0: just the, right. It's tough because, yes, the binaural era is tough for non-following hardcore fans, and you don't know when you're going to get a go of that. If you
2: wanted to go deep, I've got Mike Radke here who says, if you come to mind, he throws out Parting Ways, Inside Job, I Got Shit, and Red Mosquito. What do you think the, about that?
0: I would say No One, I Got Shit. Parting Ways is very interesting. I think that they closed a couple shows with that in 2000, yeah. or at least main sets or encores or something. That definitely got utilized in that role. I I can see that, but again, that's like... The same thing as Insignificance, like are you getting a big crowd reaction from it? I like Inside Job as an option, because that is really anthemic. It would be interesting to see how you get into it, because it does feel like more of an encore opener than it is to be like a last kind of moment. But that, out of all of these songs, is probably the one that attaches with the crowd the most. I see one more from Facebook that I'm going to steal here. Dawn said Life Wasted. I think that's pretty perfect.
1: I
2: don't know. They've done it there in that comatose, spin the black circle, go kind of opening of Encore 2 spot. I don't know if it's that anthemic enough to fit there. You'd maybe lose me a little bit doing Life Wasted that late. And they've done it, but... Yeah, they have. Yeah, I I, I don't know if I love that.
0: Yeah, I think it works just because you get a song that a lot of people know, and even in this stage of the game, Like, when they played it at St. Louis, the crowd was on fire for it. The crowd was hot for it. And I think that most of these, if not all of these, are going to have a surprise factor to it. So if you know that, like, okay, time is ticking here, and you get life wasted, I think your just kind of instant reaction is to go a little bit harder for it, to get a little bit more excited for it. So I, I see it working. I think that that's a really good option because, again, anthemic, big moments, chorus that you can sing along to, I don't think you get too much better than that i uh, just don't love the song so yeah all right well i think now we can get into the show believe it or not when the band comes walking out on the stage we get master slave as the walk-on song it's not it's weird right it's weird yeah because it's, it's especially there are only three ten songs played at this show yeah
2: you're not getting one until song 15.
0: Yeah, so it's not like in Philadelphia where, okay, here's what's coming. It feels like, okay, this was on one of the records, so here it is, you know?
2: It felt like, yeah, you're going back to this, I mean, I guess the 15th anniversary of 1992, so I guess you're trying to throw back to that a little bit, but it felt weird to hear Master Slave and then go into this run of, like, 2,000 songs.
0: Yeah, normally I wouldn't argue that at all, but... Yeah, it was a little little strange, but we do get Long Road as the opener here. And again, this is an audience recording. This, wherever they recorded it, is like dead in the middle of the audience. Especially for Long Road, because Long Road is a little bit more open. You do hear a lot of people talking over it and talking over the beginning. And people screaming, oh, it's Long Road, oh, it's Long Road. So you do get that. And I think we got to bring this up because we're on this insane YouTube video less streak here. Because we got to go back to, I believe, mid May, where we did the Camden show from last year, where we had a full show that we were able to go watch on youtube we haven't had those for the mansfield shows we didn't have anything and we didn't have anything for the other two 2003 shows either we just been on a really bad streak of not having any video available to us but i guess with the catalog being as it is it's just gonna happen
2: yeah we'll get back to one point it does leave a little bit to the imagination you know we have to speculate on a few things and you don't get a full picture but It just means we get to focus on the music, which is what's important.
0: So while Long Road was a little bit challenging to concentrate on because of the fans and how close they were to the mic and the band and what they were doing, this is the only song that I felt this on because I think everything else from Severed Hand and Grievance and stuff that would come next, like that all drowned the crowd out enough where you couldn't really hear them do anything. And I guess my take on this is that the excitement level is very, very high for Long Road as an opener. And Ed comes out of the gate. He feels really good with this. He's got a lot of power, and it feels like it's being played with a purpose. The crowd singing along in unison is very good. They're matching his energy. He's matching their energy. And great call and response afterwards. Like, it does feel like a fun opener. I guess maybe having that little aspect from the crowd isn't a bad thing at all.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a triumphant kind of version. You can tell Ed's throwing in some little effects and little things, little vocal tidbits and different things he does to try to build on that. Yeah, he's definitely feeling it tonight. But I should mention, too, I think for the show, the entire, I think, floor area is 10 club members. So maybe that has to do with them not being as 10. You know, like There's only one versus song. There's only one Vitality song in this set. Maybe that's why you get a little more ride act and some different things, a little more yield. Maybe they were feeling that a little bit more knowing that they had the fan club all up front. They would have their back a little bit, but yeah, I think you, you get that in the crowd too. This is a very like, knowledgeable, sing-along crowd, that call and response. Outro on Long Road is very, very good.
0: To a pretty good start here. There's gonna be a lot of fast rockers and it's kind of gonna set the tone for the show. Got Severed Hand that's following up on Long Road. It's gonna go into Grievance which is gonna go into Comatose which we'll hear from Javier on and that's gonna kind of end with what would be one of the only big fan songs kind of like crossover songs to casual to hardcore fan is given a fly and that would be like the last one of those songs until probably way later when you get down way to the bottom with state 11 trust why go mm. so i think before kind of getting into like little points about this i really did love and we talked a lot about transitions song-to-song transitions last week and there were many that were tremendous I love the long road in the Severed Hand and I just thought that the whole thing flowed really really well and then you bounce from song to song to song here and you're just increasing the energy and intensity as you go. Severed Hand is pretty fast, Grievance is faster, Comatose is even faster than that. What'd you take out of all this?
2: It's a weird combination Because like there's no hail hail There's no animal, nothing like that No early 90s thing to kind of anchor it You know and give it like a big crowd Moment So it felt a little off To me like Severed Hand is great It's one of the better ones off of Avocado That translates live Grievance I don't know, does it translate outside the US? Does a UK crowd Ooh. Translate and relate to that? I don't know
0: Why not? Yes. Yeah. just a um, Fun pounding live song yeah,
2: I mean Ed's definitely into it. But yeah, Comatose I thought was the one that just blew doors on it. I mean, Mike Solo was just completely flashy, completely eighties, like hair metal style, Van Halen style, just showing off there, building up energy in this crowd. On paper it might not you might think, Oh you think, where's animal, where's hail hail, where's Spin the Black Circle, last exit kind of a thing. But it works. I mean you're again we're in two thousand seven, it's a weird year, so I'll we'll mix it up a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think Comatose is definitely, I I like Grievance the most, but Comatose kind of defines a little bit of what this show is going to be, which you get songs a little bit later in the set and you're going to be like, my goodness, they are playing this to probably the extent of how fast they can go and Comatose thinking about this the whole time listening to it it's just like you're being run over by a freight train. I think this one is going to be really interesting to hear what Javier has to say about it because he's going to do all avocado stuff today and he wanted to start with this one so he's going to get into Comatose and talk a little bit about the tone and approach to what they were doing on this song and on the store a little bit as well.
3: hey randy hey john hey everyone in the podcast we're covering london 2007 for this week and the first song that i really wanted to talk about is comatose you're probably wondering why comatose it doesn't have any major effects but the point that i wanted to state is it gave us a very good glimpse and guidance of where the direction was going related with overdrives overdrives is something that sometimes we didn't cover very much but i thought it was gonna be a very good occasion just to start this topic. So let's look at the left side of the stage. So Mike was using at that time as a main overdrive, the Boss Blues Driver, the BD2, the regular one, not the Craft or the Craft version. And then on the right side of the stage, Stone was using the Clone Centaur, which is the first time, and I think it's the only time that he has been using this pedal, at least on his board for a live setting these pedals are really going to allow you to dig in in the guitar like you can really really dig in in the strings you're going to have this very large massive tone this very large massive overdrive but it's not going to be something that is going to be absolutely invasive or it's not going to get too heavy everything is going to be dictated by the right hand of the players and i think that's what was the thought process related with okay these are the pedals that we're going to pick for this tour certain songs are going to allow you to dig in deeper like comatose animal why go go and the ability of these guys so just to determine that with their right hand and that the way that they're attacking the strings for their picks is insane but Some songs are going to be a little lighter in tone, like Marker in the Sand, Unemployable, Come Back, name a few more, Off He Goes, etc. Even though the the descendings on the pedals are the same, just the attack with the right hand of the player is going to make the song a little lighter and not as distorted. It's not going to overdrive the amps very much. Fender amps for this tour, something we have covered before. One of my favorite tours when it comes to sound, when it comes to tone, it opened a lot of possibilities for them when it comes to like mixing a little bit more what they were doing related with, or if we compare it to 98, 2000, and 2003, that there were very unique, distinctive sounds. So yeah, that's the starting topic for this week, and hope you enjoy it.
0: Alright, great stuff. We'll see you back for two more avocado songs in a little bit and then maybe talk about something else tied into avocado a little bit later.
2: We're gonna have to call him avocado today.
0: Avocado. Oh baby, that's uh nine point five on the dad joke scale right there. Thank yeah, you, thank you. Yeah, I'll be it's here. On. Very, very high. Alright, well let's see if another one comes up a little bit later. Given a Fly does kind of, I guess, level out what you're hearing from the first three here. And I think with all of these, Cameron's presence is definitely heard and felt. And that's where you get the faster versions of these songs. And it really does feel like 2006 was the start of that. They want to get more songs in the set. They want to bring that kind of energy to the crowd, and they want to get them going very, very early. And then even in the middle, they want to keep it pretty fast paced. And it does feel like Cameron has a lot to do with that. Absolutely. And coming off of Comatose 2 where that becomes a
2: big Mike solo moment at the end there and then translating that energy from the first ones into something like Given to Fly where it's not something like a distant or a wish list where we can talk about where it takes that energy and kind of drops a little bit. Given to Fly is going to take that energy and keep it going. Like that's a song you could put anywhere. Like a couple of people mentioned it could even fit in that bread and butter spot at the end of the show and, and do really, really well i love this section this little four song run here with these three yield songs i think this might be the highlight of the show for me
0: what's interesting about this and again going back to cameron the way that his progression was going kind of felt like if this was maybe a south american crowd that we would have gotten like a chanting section during the in-betweens like the whoa something like that It's tough like a crowd really has to be very passionate and very on top of that to all think in unison to do it but that's the kind of version that that set up and it was ed says here cheers great to be here looks great from up here don't know how it is from out there but the last time we came through this part of the world we played the thing called reading and a thing called Leeds. those felt pretty good for us so whoever was there thank you for that It's been seven years since we played in this building, and it doesn't seem that long because we've been playing other festivals. We couldn't be happier getting in a room the size of this with this kind of people. And as you mentioned, we're on the yield path right now, so you're going from Giving a Fly into Low Light, into I Got Shit, which is obviously not a yield song, but into Faithful as well. There are going to be four in total yield songs at the show, which is pretty high. And going back to I guess some of the discussion that we were having when we were talking about low light on the Mansfield episode is that now while that was the second all-time version, this here is the 18th all-time version. So you're getting... Four years later, and a good run of shows in 2006, a good run of shows in 2005, and there is an uptick in this, and it is kind of upwardly trending, but a little slower than what we would think was to come later.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely coming into its own, and I think we talked about Mansfield was a big part of that. And then 2005, I think it was The Gorge, right? That was the big moment where the sun was going down, and that really took it to another level. But yeah, it's it's, it's a song that's just been on the up and up, and I think it would be really interesting to talk about through the years. Like, we've kind of focused on songs for little periods of time, we get on little runs. And low light's an interesting one to get on. Be interesting to see if that one pops up a few more times this year to see where it's at. But yeah, given to fly into low light here, I mean a great version of low light as well. So part two of the little yield trilogy here out of four is excellent.
0: Yeah, I think that this was way more polished obviously than the version that we got in mansfield and they figured out what the song was live and really it doesn't stray that much than what they were doing on the studio version but also jeff's partner pandora was in the crowd for this one i don't know if they're married but i'm just gonna use partner as kind of the neutral saying there but she's in the crowd and ed would say that one was written for her so that's a little interesting with what we know from ishmael and all that so i got shit comes in faithful comes in i really loved this version of faithful i thought that they were like right on top of it it felt like they were tight from the beginning and synced up the whole entire way and we talked about this song before and how difficult it is to sync up the guitars on it. And then when you sync it up, and then you're able to, at the same time, find a surge within it, and really that solo part start to really crank it out and start to keep building and go with it. And then you got Ed kind of fired up and the crowd fired up on this too. Like everything seemed to really click with this version of Faithful to make it work here. And I was very impressed by it.
2: I mean, don't sleep on "I Got Shit" either. Like a absolutely killer version of "I Got Shit." You're getting both Merkin Ball songs in the top seven here. That's always going to be very, very good. But yeah, I love all four of these songs from "Given to Fly" through "Faithful." I think those are the best performances of the night.
0: All right. Well, now let's transition into a Act song and go back into another Avocado song, "Green Disease," followed up by "Marker in the Sand," and. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's really charged up on this show and green disease feels like it's on a mission and the idea of it is pretty explosive, but it's almost like they couldn't contain it and it gets a little too overbearing in this version. Sometimes... Especially in a song like this, that's very much a continuous pace the whole entire way. It can get sloppy on some transitions, and it can just find a little bit of a rocky road. I thought that this one kind of went a little bit overboard, in a way.
2: They're definitely hitting the political stuff, and we're going to see that come back later. You know, we've already hit grievance and now you're getting green disease here too yeah i thought there was a moment early on where it was awkward at the beginning like someone hit the wrong chord or something someone hit the wrong note but they end up getting back on it but yeah i think green disease is here to fit into the political climate of this show and to kind of again it's a jeff thing this is a very jeff heavy song so he gets a little section here too but it just blazes once they get halfway through it almost yeah to the point of being overbearing
0: Yep, a little bit too much gas on that, but I love this version of Marker in the Sand. This is not a song we talk about very often, and it's also like underrated off this album as what, like, one of the better songs from Avocado that's had like no staying power live at all. When people are talking about Inside Job, they're talking about Come Back, they talk about Life Wasted still and severed hand of course but this one is the one that people seem to kind of forget about and is just one of their awesome gems deep in their catalog especially in the dad ed era that just sort of gets dismissed and it shouldn't
2: yeah it's weird marker in the sand i mean you could sit me down and be like john start naming pearl gem songs and it would be a while before i got to marker in the Sand it is a little bit forgotten. And I didn't even realize that I saw the last performance of it in Columbia, South Carolina in 2016. That was the last time they played it. But yeah, I think it's one that is tough on its voice. It goes way up There "There is a marker. Like, I think that's hard for him to do now. So I don't know if you'll see it come back. I don't know that there's a big push from the fans to hear marker from the sand again. For me, there's that upper echelon of songs on Avocado, your inside job. Come back, severed hand, gone, and but marker in the sand is right there. I think in that next group, it's one of the better ones on that record. So, yeah, I agree. I don't hate it by any means, but uh, it'd be interesting to see it come back and see what they did with it. And never really had a chance to really like make a mark live and like get going, really.
0: Yeah, and it's one that Mike has kind of screwed up on a couple of times. So maybe that's just one he wrote yeah. the song, he fucked it up, and that is a quote from a certain show. A lot of people know that, but. Yeah, maybe that's something that he kind of is like, you know what, I'm not confident with it, so let's not try it as much as we should. But the song is interesting and structure-wise because it's got a very bombastic sort of barreling and riffy verse and intro. It's very hard. It cuts pretty hard. And then you go and you get into the chorus, and it almost feels like there's a weird juxtaposition where you kind of expect almost that the chorus should be, like, a little bit harder, kind of, like, dig into more of the barreling and crunchy sound, but the chorus is just very open and clean, and it feels kind of almost like a pop song chorus in a way. And it's just such an interesting way of writing that they don't really do stuff like this very often. And that's why I want to bring Javier here to, to, to talk about that. So let's hear what he has to say about how this song is developed and maybe a little bit of why this one is interesting to hear live.
2: Hit It had Avocado.
3: Marker in the Sand is another song that is extremely interesting to discuss, even though that it has a very beautiful simplicity. So if you're wondering, Marker in the Sand has a very unique tuning, plus it uses a use capo on the third fret. Mike uses his guitar in the following tuning, starting on the sixth string, DGD, GCE, plus a capo on the third fret. Stone plays his guitar in regular tuning, And this is where Stone does his best. He's always filling up the song with little licks, little arpeggios, and it makes the song sounds great, especially in the parts that the other player is doing that bar-muted chords. Da-da-da, da-da-da-da, and that's what Stone gets in, right? The other interesting thing that Randy and I were talking this week as well, is that even though the the song is very simple in their chord progression, it has this very crunchy kind of like choppy verses and then you kind of like open up to this very beautiful melodic chorus the song it goes the same when it comes to the chord progression except that in the verses you will be playing this song with only three strings and you will have like a bar mute while you're playing the song but then when you're getting into the chorus you're gonna be using every single string of the guitar so it gives you that impression that you're like kind of like tied it up in the verse, but then when you get to the chorus, you can, you get that fresh breath of air because the song opens up and it has this beautiful chords that make the song sounds very, very, very pleasant. Guitar selection for this song is always going to be a little bit more on the lighter end. I've never seen use anything sort of scratch guitars or Gibson guitars or anything like that. It's going to be gravitating more towards Fender guitars like Fender Stratocasters or Fender Telecasters. But yeah, I think it's a song that it needs that kind of instrument. It doesn't need anything that is going to drive the amp a little further. And also another thing is that they don't end it up the song in the way that it's being ended in the studio version. When you hear the term resolve a song or resolve the chord, is basically you ended up the song with the same chord that you started to play the song. So in this case, the studio version has that, but in the live version, they kind of like close it out in a different setting and it kind of leave a little bit more suspense. Really cool detail. Awesome song to talk about.
0: All right. I think we made some guacamole with that one. Very good stuff. Thank you, sir marker the
2: structure of it like it goes into that kind of weird jammy part at the end where it just feels like it doesn't fit yeah it's a it's a weird one
0: all right ed's giving a shout out here to pete from cornwall that's one of the crew members he's gotten shout outs before i think he's a long time guy so Yeah. yeah we've heard about pete Cornwall kind of gets a mixed reaction at first, and then Ed kind of says he should get something good out of it because on the road he gets shit for it, so everybody, please, just let him have some good here so they all cheer from here. And a nice moment for Pete from Cornwall. So always good to give it over to the crew, something else that they're going to do a little bit later in the show too. This section, Immortality down, present tense, and it does feel like while you went pretty hard with a lot of these songs, Up in the beginning, and then Green to and Marker and the Sand are going pretty hard. Now you get to level out a little bit. You got Immortality, which is going to just give you a surge and a build song. That's really good. Down is a little bit more poppy. Present Tense is going to get you the surge and build as well. And I guess right from the start of Immortality, we haven't seen this in a very long time. The arpeggiated, beautiful intro into Immortality is here. Thank you. something I feel like we forget about almost because they only do it in really in certain eras They did a little bit in like 1996 when they developed it but it doesn't always come back but when it does I just kind of go back to when I heard it for the first time and I guess I was a little naive and I didn't know that this was a thing that went into immortality so once those notes for immortality hit I was like, oh, okay, that all makes sense, all put together. And it just got me more pumped and excited for Immortality. That is such a benefit to have that, to kind of build that tension and build that excitement once you do get into the actual song.
2: Yeah, and it's such a switch when it transitions into the more minor key like Immortality. That'd be a good one to get Javier on, too, to kind of translate that and see how that was actually done. But yeah, I agree, this is a fan club, heavy audience, they're gonna know, but when he flips the switch and goes into Mortality, then that becomes a big moment, like, oh, that moment of realization, like, oh, that was so cool. It makes that intro of Immortality, which is already very tense and very, like I said, building of emotion, it makes that even more so of that, it adds a lot more to it. Yeah, I love when they do this, I've gotten to see it, I think, once, and yeah, absolutely love it. This is another fantastic performance.
0: Yeah, Mike's holding out those notes for an eternity, just letting them etch into your brain, that's the best kind of versions of this. And then, you know, they always pick up on Mike's momentum and fuels the ending of the song. The tail end feels really good to this, it's not like an overly destructive version, but it just continues to build and surge and soar as they continue to pick up speed on it. So this is a very, very good version. In between Immortality and Down, Ed shouts out Cameron and says, We've had greed, we've had religion, we've had death, and now we have hope. And it's a fun version of Down. Nothing too fancy. I don't really have much on it. I have a lot more to say about present tense. What do you think?
2: Down is the breather in between the two big hitters here.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Ed would go on to say that that was a McCready number before getting into a McCready number in present tense. I don't know when present Tense doesn't hit me really hard, but lately I'm like, this is my favorite song of all time kind of deal, and it usually is, but I'm like obsessed with it right now, and I'm glad we got it last week as the opener. I think that helped a lot into my love for it, and this version just continues that as well. I love when Ed gets the crowd involved on the first chorus. They're on top of it, but it's really that build right before he gets into the second chorus that transition like Ed just goes for it something like that it's one of those moments where you're like okay I'm paying attention let's go and you just kind of get on board with the whole thing and it's just they wrote it to the end this was a fantastic version of this
3: yeah I
2: think this is the one maybe even more than some of the other ones I talked about where I would really like to see a video because you get that kind of shot of adrenaline in it halfway through where the big Ed moment I'm very much into it but then at the end, like, I like when they're feeling it, they can just kind of let it go and let it kind of take them on like the trip and s- just see where it goes. Like, hey, we're in the moment, let's just ride this and see how it goes. And it does kind of meander a little bit at the end and I don't say that in a bad way. I love when that happens in present tense. Like, no, it was
0: very good in this. Yeah,
2: like let it go, ride that ending as long as you can, like ride kind of that wave and just let it come in on its own. And yeah, this is fantastic as well. Yeah, really, really good version of present tense.
0: Yeah, when you get invested into a song like this, you get lost in it. And I think the band just got lost in it. And they're like, okay, we don't really want to finish this. So whenever the song decides to finish, it'll finish. But I think that they were really feeling that performance as much as the crowd was. Really good stuff. Well, if you guys wanted 10 songs and 1992 songs, you have made it to the point in the set where you're getting a bunch of them. You're getting State of Love and Trust and Why Go back-to-back. And then two songs later, you're going to get Porch. And State of Love and Trust and Why Go both are just blazing speed yet again. You're pulverizing your crowd. And I think these are, again, maybe for everybody that's in this audience, the most recognizable that you've had since Given a Fly. So you're able to kind of build back that kind of energy within this. And both of them were just aim to kick you where it hurts like this was kind of the perfect time present tense ends everybody's in a good mood get you into some familiar songs and that's all you need here 811 trust for me i thought was really
2: really loose and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing sometimes, but, you know, we talk about sometimes, you know, Michael be really on that riff and really tight, cameras really on it, but this one felt like it was a lot looser. They are just playing around with it a lot more, letting it go and letting it kind of be open. Maybe, you know, the first real kind of early song of the set, and you've got a fan club crowd close up front, so they're going to be putting a lot of energy in on it. And then, yeah, Why Go? In 2006, they went back to the kind of original version of Why Go, and made its kind of triumphant return to the set and started to become that big crowd moment. But this, I think, 2006-2007 is a little still awkward and tentative for Wygo. I don't think it really hit its full stride again until probably 2009-2010, even later in the 2010s when it started to be that big moment again. This is, a, I think, a little awkward choice from 10 here. I mean, you need these songs at the end, so they went for it.
0: Now, I think Why Go would be a perfect one to be the bread and butter song right before rocking in the oh, Free World. Yeah. Sure. And it's anthemic and everything like that. People can yeah. sing along with it. But, you know, you're about right. 20, 15 minutes away from ending the night. Why, Why go? go Home? why not extend the show so it all works ending your main set is going to be save you into porch save you is another barn burner they rip right through it a lot of cameron presence on it and porch is going to have the intro that is an incredibly bluesy version with the crowd coming in and clapping like this is like when you think of riffy porch this is kind of what you think about. It's not the identity of what you know the song to be.
2: It's based off my generation
0: blues. They're in London, so this game's gonna play it up. That's fair enough. I can buy that. Now, there is something cool that happens in this. There is an improv a little bit later, like right as they're about to get out of the solo. of it is just like excitement of just being there and you can tell he's happy to be there too if he's saying all this stuff like as a kid i i want to go see london and that's all just kind of coming out here so yeah listening to hoopoe legs picture yeah probably yeah that's probably the case all right well we got there it is time for the encore it's time to pause for station identification and talk about things that we need to talk about right now Let's start with Patreon. No new patrons this week, so maybe you guys that are listening right now, maybe you can become patrons that we can thank next week. And the way to do that is to go on patreon.com slash live on four legs and go look at the services that we offer. We offer three different tiers bonus leg is only going to be a dollar a month. So if you just want to jump in on that and just listen to the content that we've been producing for the last couple months, then you're free to do so. Or if you want to go on the giggle leg tier and donate 5 dollars a month, then you are free to do that as well and you also get an episode request just like Simon has where you can give us a show that you really liked and we can cover and John will give it a six out of 10 and I will apparently give it a seven out of 10 and you can give it a near 10 out of 10 if you choose and we'll cover it. and We'll talk about all the songs like we usually do. That is available to you on the giga leg tier on the horizon leg tier. Everything's available. Plus at some point in the future, there will be merch packages and there is the opportunity to have a profile episode that we do post to patreon when your episode request does come so those are all things that are available for you if you want to help out the show and right now is a great time to help out the show since tours happening and we're getting events that i'll talk about in a second and it just helps the whole thing get put together and helps us just kind of grow this community as well which you don't think at this point we could grow it anymore, but growth is always around you and always happening. So I mentioned patreon.com slash live on four legs, or you can go to the Patreon app and search for live on four legs, or you can go to liveonfourlegs.com and click the become a patron button. And that's how you join. Speaking of liveonfourlegs.com, Newly published this week was Joey's third What If Mansfield article, where he goes through the years of 2009, 2013, and 2022 and does the Mansfield type shows experiment for those years. They're very good. He kind of does like a mock what they would have done at the Spectrum if they decided to do all those songs. And then last year, of course, putting Mansfield shows into sets that were 22 to 23 songs long. It was a different experience, but it's very, very good. So definitely check that out if you're on the website. Now let's get into a couple different things. Let's start out with Chicago here and some of the things that we'll be doing on the off day in between the two shows. So... There is a game going on at Wrigley Field. I know a lot of people will be doing that. It's in the afternoon, an afternoon game, Cubs-Giants. However, I did hear, be alert for a fan club-related activity that will be happening in that afternoon. That's all that I can share at the moment, but all I'll say is if you haven't gotten your Cubs tickets yet, hold off for the time being until they announce the fan club related event that is happening. So we'll find out what that is rather soon. But after what would be the game or the fan club event, there is going to be a sunset cruise on the Chicago River that I know a lot of people took part in in 2016 and 2018. And looking from all the photos, it looks like such a great time that they all had all together. 150 people on a boat, something like that. It looked great. And that's taking place at 6.30 that night. It's a sunset cruise, not much better than the scenery of Chicago and going out on the sea. It's going to be very, very cool. And then for all of you that knew Sean Sullivan, there will be a tribute for him and a toast for him in his name and a little bit of a fundraiser for Cystic Fibrosis Foundation that we were doing back when we were doing the t-shirts too. That's going to be something that we're doing at the following event as well, raising money for the organization. If you're interested in going to that, that is at a bar called the Currah. In one of the Chicago neighborhoods of Bucktown. So that will be from about 6 to 8.30 or so. If that's something that you want to swing by. And pay tribute to Sean and his family. And a lot of the friends will be there as well. It's a great occasion to get together. And pay tribute to a guy that gave so much to this community. And afterwards we have locked down our place. So Pearl Jam Karaoke 2 is booked. That's right. If you remember from Vegas last year, we did our first Pearl Jam karaoke due to the circumstances that happened out there. It ended up being a blast. And I said after that, you know what, if we can make this a tour thing, every tour in between an off day or something like that, this is what we're doing, then it would bring so much to the whole experience of going to the shows. And it's a good way for the fans to all mingle and get together and get to know each other and and get to embarrass themselves too while they're out on stage doing a little bit of singing and who knows who's going to drink what and go out there and make a fool of themselves. But that should be at 9 at Louis' Pub and it'll go until the closing and I believe their last call is at 1.30 so we can go for a pretty long time if we wanted to. There are tickets being sold in advance at $10 a piece and we recommend to you that you go and buy the tickets before the event because only 100 tickets are available so make sure you get them now before they're all gone. There will be a link on the website if it's not up already where you will be able to go and purchase the tickets. There are $10 a piece and your money will go towards two raffle tickets for for some really cool door prizes that we have going on that day again another fundraiser for cystic fibrosis and i'll i'll have more t-shirts that day too and it'll be a great time for anybody that went to the first one you'll be able to recognize you'll be able to tell everybody hey this is a really really fun event that you should be a part of so really excited for chicago can't wait till september 6th this is going to be a blast guys So the other thing that I want to talk about right here, John jump in is that we brought this to the patrons and to our Facebook followers and Twitter followers attention that we didn't really have an idea for our fifth year anniversary episode. And the week comes at a really hard time because the episode would come out while we're all in Chicago. So I would probably have to, do like a rush edit on it the week before to to get it out. And it would probably take a little time to, to work on it and be kind of a timing wouldn't be great. I, I asked people like what they thought we should do for an episode since we didn't have anything planned. And what it all kind of boiled down to was that people were mostly interested in like a top five, of Live on Four Legs moments or something like that, and kind of recapping a little bit of Live on Four Legs. And yeah,
2: like a retrospective kind of all-encompassing, well, like where it started, where we've been, where was it going? Yeah, that's interesting. It's an interesting idea.
0: I agree. I'm into it, and I think that we need to flesh it out a little bit for sure, but I think some of the things that we do need some help on is that we can't just be out there and talking about ourselves and what the five years were like, without your input into that so here's what i'm thinking if you guys want to write a little blurb and send it in to live on four legs podcast at gmail.com that's the number four by the way or even if you want to record something on your phone and then send it and email it to us no more than a minute and a half or so of just like maybe just if you want to say congratulations for five years, or if you want to say like how you've loved listening, to this show, whatever it is, or like whatever yeah, it is that you want to remember, to share.
2: like some moment that you remember from the podcast that sticks with you or something. I'd much yeah. rather you guys do that. Definitely, yeah. we went back and forth. Like, should it be like a regular show? Should it be something different? And you guys on the Facebook group and everything were overwhelmingly like, no, it should be something special. It should be something different. So we're intrigued. We're listening, and we don't want it to be just like a clip show because we've done clip shows. That's kind of easy to do. But for five years, it feels like it should be something a little more than that.
0: Yeah, I fully agree with that. And again, because this is a very fan based show where you guys get to have a lot of input into what we're doing. I think that you should have some input into what we're doing here as well. So keep those ideas flowing. Again, let's see some stories, let's get some audio from you guys, and we'll use it all, and maybe we'll get some of the pioneers of Live on Four Legs and some of the guests and things like that, and we'll definitely get Matt back on to do something, I'm sure, if he has time. We'll put that all together, and that will be the episode, but we're going to mention it up until that week, just so everybody remembers to send something in. So, let this be the beginning of that, I suppose. All right, back to the rock. Now you're going to start off with two Avocado songs here, Inside Job into Parachutes. It's fairly common to get Inside Job right out of the Encore, in between Avocado, Backspacer, or Era. And this is a good version with pretty uplifting moments here. And the person that wants to talk about it the most, I think, is probably Javier. He got really excited about this one when we were talking about it the other day. So why don't we get to him, and then we'll get back to us. I choose to feel.
3: This is one of the ones that I've been waiting for so long to share with you guys. Inside Job, one of the greatest songs in their catalog, hands down hopefully we don't have any arguments about that okay let's get to the technicalities of the song cool things about the song is just the fact that live is executed with a double neck guitar let's go back to the 60s and the 70s and i think you're gonna know that somebody named jimmy page kind of used this guitar in a song called star way to heaven maybe you've heard that one i don't know but anyways really cool element that has started to be more massive over the years a lot of different artists, they started to use this kind of setting, even though that is kind of weird because it's a guitar that Gibson made, but it's a double neck guitar. So in the higher side of the neck or in the first neck, you have a 12 string setting. And then in the other one, you have a six string setting the guitar name is called Gibson ESD 1275 and then you can go back and forth in between several things so the intro for inside job is played with the 12 strings and that's where you get all the jangly all this very like harp like string sounds that you go up to like the last part when it gets a little bit more upbeat although there's a very interesting thing about this live execution. Even for a second, I thought that he was going back and playing on the 12 strings, but actually he doesn't. And then, going back into the archives for the pedal boards for this year, there was a new element on Mike's board for this year, which is the WAMI pedal. What a WAMI pedal is gonna do for you is extremely unique because whammy pedals are something that they were designed to just go two octaves up, one octave down, maybe a fifth up, a fifth down, is so the guitar players are not using the wami bar and they're not detuning the guitar. So It was kind of like this pedal that it was designed just to kind of like cover this element that players they deal with when they're like in a live setting and they have to retune their guitars and all that stuff. Multiple options, you can go like harmonies or you can use the whammy effect, which is going up and down in octaves or you can use a little bit more like a filling effect towards like the harmony side of the pedal but yeah that was a new element that it was being used around that time for that tour then it was removed I've never seen it again on none of the boards but yeah that's a very unique element because you think that he's going back to the 12 strings to play the solo but no actually he engages that whammy pedal that this is the first time on Live on Ford likes podcast that we have had the chance to talk about
0: all right Thank you for your avocadoing and we will see you back next week for more. I guess I should say it now, but he has been planning to do a Patreon show where he goes through the albums and does like a different look into it. And I think the first one he's going to do is avocado. Now, we're still working on it. We're still fleshing out the idea, but he wants to go through all the albums at some point and he wants to have all different hosts on it. And I said, use people that have almost never been on the show before or that are just guests or stuff like that. So if you are interested in doing a hosting role, I'll let Javier you with that. If that's not something you're comfortable with, then get in touch and we'll set something up. And if you have an album that you really want to do, then we'll get it together.
2: You've got to call it Avocado now.
0: Or is it just called Javier Hervas? Self-titled.
2: No, no it's Avocado. That's
0: got to be. That's, that's oh, I tried. Yeah. All right. Well, again, great stuff. And look out for that on the horizon. So what out of Inside Job Parachutes stood out to you? Parachutes, to me, getting it in back-to-back weeks was very interesting. I don't think that's ever happened before. It's not one that play too often. But what caught your yeah parachutes for sure and again not being here last week and not getting a chance to listen to that bootleg
2: parachutes definitely came off here as unique and like the guitar tone is interesting because on the album you know it's a very clean kind of very beatles esque kind of sound to it but stone's playing a little chunkier a little more distorted which gives it a unique sound and yeah another one that we almost never talk about here so i was excited to hear that it didn't come off as particularly momentous or anything i think it's more of a lead-in into what's going to come next you're going to get some heavy hitters coming up but parachutes kind of serves as kind of a bridge in between to get to those two avocado songs to start an encore is unique too that's very strange and of the era for sure
0: Ed's going to address the crowd here, and honestly, you hear a couple chords being played before anybody says anything, and it's really not Ed that's going to talk. It's going to really be Stone. And those chords do sound like the song Don't Give Me No Lip. So the crowd is egging Stone on, and Stone asks, what do you want to know? And the crowd is chanting for Don't Give Me No Lip, which leads Ed to quip, so don't talk back.
2: Ed playing dumb, being like, what? What, Mm -hmm. What song are you talking about? Stone, be cool. Don't talk back. Don't
0: get him no it. <laughs> right. That'll take you into Crazy Mary, which is a very, very good version of this. As Ed would go out to say, it had never been played in London before. And the crowd really came prepared to get this going. And it has such a groove to it. And it's a very jammy version and look you got boom and mike going back and forth but it's really not until the duel when they're taking shot for shot here at the end where it starts to get really really fired up and hot.
2: show early on and then the duel starts but mike takes over and runs away with it there's no way you know, we can compete with what mike's doing at the end there this is a mike victory ends now if you're keeping track with the crazy marys i think this is nearly like nine minutes if not a little over nine minutes so yeah they Plus. they flush it out and
0: do the whole full thing yeah it's very very good especially in this version where it's tougher to hear the b3 might just stands out so much more
2: yeah this is maybe like a c plus b minus oh i wouldn't give it a b a little
0: bit generous there maybe a cc plus but yeah that's what i'm thinking cc plus right there so you're not generous on your number ratings but your letter ratings you are a little more generous is is that
2: catch me in a good mood you never
0: know it all depends I, i just go with the flow well, let's see what your number rating on Evolution into Alive is. This evolution feels a little different, and that's in a good way. It feels like Matt was kind of trucking at a little bit of a faster pace, using more symbols to fill in the gaps. I don't think that evolution is really a symbol heavy song, at least it doesn't seem that way to me but they were firing on all cylinders. With the Stones sections were fantastic, and Ed's in a good mood when you know he says the first mammal shit his pants, and it was a lot of great spirits going into Alive, which is going to be another one that just great spirits, great crowd, great interaction, and just kind of happy moments, because in the second Encore, you're really not going to get Happy moments at first, like we were saying, alive is not in its normal role. So worldwide suicide kind of has to take that over and then go right into rocking in the Free World. So it's a different dynamic that you're going with here. So this really feels like almost to me the party starting early and then coming back with Rockin' in the Free World.
2: Yeah, alive is really, really good and really, really anthemic and triumphant and all those big words that we like to use to talk about alive when it's very, very good. Evolution, I think, too, he throws in the admire Stone line. So Stone's having a little moment here in Encore One. And yeah, it felt like they were leading up to like a really fun, like, oh, you're going to get Baba, you're going to get Ledbetter. It's going to be one of those party mode. You're going to get maybe a guest is going to come out. Who knows? Johnny Marr, the Buzzcocks, whatever. But yeah, you definitely do not get that. Like, after live, they come out and the mood changes completely.
0: Yeah. And this is where the show starts to get a little bit more politically charged. And that's going to get us into Encore 2 right here. So, Ned says, we played Austria the other night. I think it was a festival. It was a shit gig. But I don't think that's the reason why we've been enjoying ourselves tonight. Because you guys have been great. And then... Yeah, it starts to dive into a little bit of British politics and talking about Tony Blair. Oh, Tony Blair. Mm, yeah, this is a name that just hadn't crossed my mind in a very, very long time. Now, Ed's saying, watched him on TV, he's like, I don't know much about Tony Blair, but he was answering questions about the war, and I had this feeling. It's like, if you're out late at a bar and you don't have any way home, The only way to get home is with this guy who has a car, but he happens to be really, really drunk. So you have to get into the passenger seat, and it would be like George Bush behind the wheel. And we talked about a speech last week where he kind of delved into a little bit of a confusing way to to end a story, and he kind of does here, too. He's like, of course you get into a horrible, horrible crash, so don't let presidents start wars drunk on power or greed. Just take the keys away. And he talks a little bit about Thomas Young, who has come up in Pearl Jam shows after this a little bit. And the song No More that's going to come up was sparked by conversations that he and Thomas had, I believe. From reading the Thomas Young book that came out a couple of years ago, I do remember that Thomas had actually written a couple of those lyrics and, and had suggestions in there for Ed. So that's what you're going to get to lead off this political section. Then you're going to get Bush Leaguer, which we'll talk about in a second. Then Worldwide Suicide, of course, which is playing the alive role here. So, it's only the second time that he's done No More. And this would kind of become a semi-frequent thing for the next two or three years. I heard it at the first two shows that I went to. not totally impressed by it, but it does feel like if this song were written in the 60s, maybe by like Woody Guthrie or something like that, it would have been a huge anthem
2: i mean yeah no more i think it's technically considered an ed solo song yes. and really you know really 2007 is really a year of ed doing into the wild that finally came out as for solo record he would kind of go on some tours start become more of a solo presence and have that going on in tandem with pearl jam but yeah no more is really kind of dated and of the era like It came out and it was like, oh, it's like a a new song. It's definitely a 60s, 50s, 40s kind of protest, Pete Seeger type thing. And it just is what it is. It's what Ed does without the rest of the band. You get more of his side and he's allowed to kind of like tap into more of his influences without the rest of the band. No more is kind of what you get when he gets into that political mode. And I didn't get to hear it when it was around. It'll never come back, but it just kind of is what it is. We hope it'll never come back. Right. Oh, no, it definitely won't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is kind of the beginning, too, of like this kind of forgotten Mm -hmm. song section here. These songs that aren't going to come back and haven't come back in a long time.
0: Yeah. Bushleaguer would kind of define that. And that's because, as mentioned earlier in the show, this is the last time we'll ever hear a Bushleaguer in a show. And it, I guess, had a full evolution, in a way, as you're finishing this, because... Usually when you think of the song, and you think of the 2003 versions, obviously you're going to think about the jacket and the mask and all that, but the actual rendition of the song is very plotting, and it takes a while to really develop, and the choruses kind of lead a little bit slower, and this is just almost feeling like a punk rock song in a way. It's it's distorted, and the way that Stone, at least, is, is riffing on it, does feel like he's giving it a little edge that it's never really had before and i was a little surprised by this because i had never heard this version before listening to it here so i didn't know that there was a different bush leaguer out there but i guess it's just sort of bizarre world and that's what it is
1: Man, But why so beleaguered? He's not a leader, he's a Texas eager. Swinging for the fence, got lucky with a strike. The drilling for fear, it makes the job simple. But a third thinks he got a triple. Black owl weaves his way to trade, the sea. Black out weaves his way to trade, the sea. Black out. when
2: you sang that song today it's cool I think it has a place and like they hadn't played it in 28 shows since September of 06 so I didn't think a bunch of people probably thought it was done at that point but when it starts you're like oh yeah this is Bush League but this is kind of cool like i think i like this more than the regular version definitely more of an edge to it i mean it almost feels like kind of the ramones covering bush leaguer a little bit
0: well my whole thing on bush leaguer is that it's really just the same chords as i believe in a little bit so
2: yeah and then it goes into a little bit of like give peace a chance like oh we are saying but not in, like, that kind of sing-song, kumbaya kind of way. Like, yeah, this is a little bit cool. Like, I thought this was great. Like, yeah, I mean, if they were going to keep doing it like this, I would we should have stuck
0: around. Yeah, I, I didn't hate it, but it's still just bizarre. That's it. Yeah. And just like that, it was done. So, moving on to this worldwide suicide slash alive penultimate kind of song. And... It feels like at the end they're trying to like make a big rock and roll moment out of this they're trying to play it up and they're trying to make it a party song because they know that they used alive and they know they're about to end the night and maybe the crowd might think like oh well jeremy could come or river mirror can come corduroy whatever better man whatever there's a lot of stuff that was left off the table at this show yeah I think the general consensus is this song is not a bread and butter song. Definitely not. Yeah, it feels a little bit forced. Again, like they're trying to
2: pigeonhole it and to be more political and to have this statement. And like, of course, Rockin' in the Free World is more of a political song give it credit for, probably. But it felt like it just doesn't belong. It's just a weird encore, too.
0: Yeah, even in Rockin' in the Free World too there is the moment where he says there's a thousand points of light for the soldier man. So let's get them home while we can. Like that's absolutely fitting into this political landscape here. Yep. Yep. So, but it was fun. Like that is now back to being a real party and you have some really, really good back and forth moments with the crowd. And that sounded really, really good and just felt like the band was just having a lot of fun on stage before you're going to end this night. Yeah. Rockin' in the Free World, again, felt really fast.
2: You could definitely hear Boom, I think, which which was kind of cool. Boom's not someone we normally talk about on Rockin' in the Free World, but he was definitely there adding some touches and adding some texture, which I thought was nice. But it really leads into another really good kind of head speech right before the end here.
0: Yeah, the ending to this was pretty wild, though. There was a yeah. huge moment. As another one, I, like Stone usually takes the solo, At the end of this but i had no idea who was doing this it's a total mike approach to do this but what'd you think do you think it was stone or mike i
2: gotta say it was probably stone but
0: stone can kind
2: of be a chameleon he can do different things we've seen him go off and i think it was probably stone because that's his thing but maybe he laid off and was like hey mike you take it like we, we
0: just don't know yeah no idea uh, maybe somebody has video for this one out in the world where they took it on like a digital camera or something like that. So maybe someday we'll find out. But we're closing the show. We're going to get into indifference, but Ed's going to do a roll call and shout out the opening band Idlewild, and says when they booked this tour, they were thinking about the band and not the crew. The crew has been tremendous, and it gives them a little bit of a shout out. I here want to bring up that, this was a little bit of a weird structure to what was supposed to be 13 shows. Now, I mentioned the Austria show before. The Austria show happened on June 16th. And there was a show that was supposed to happen on the 15th. That was a festival in Venice, Italy. And what happened there was that there were really some strong winds and bad storms that knocked down their speaker towers that collapsed and a couple people had some injuries, and they canceled the show. Apparently, this was during My Chemical Romance. I don't know if they were a late band or an earlier band. At this point, I think they were pretty popular, so they might have been a later band. But after all that, they had canceled it due to weather concerns. But you got to think, Italy to Austria, then back to England, that's not easy. I know that a lot of things are pretty close to each other in Europe, but that's not an easy run for a couple of days right there.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. That's rough. And like nowadays they don't do that without taking days off. But for whatever reason, 2007, they just said, nope, push it back to back to back to back. You know, that was some late night drives.
0: Yeah. I'm sure they saved a lot of it for the daytime too, so they can get the scenery, but yeah, impossible not to do the full nighttime gig.
2: From what I've read, it's like a eight to 10 hour job to set up their whole stage set. So
0: they've
2: they've got to get there. And then during the day they're setting up and getting ready.
0: Goodness, Italy to Austria, that's
2: a hike. And, like, through the mountains and everything, like, it's not flat over there. No.
0: Well, Indifference is going to close your show. What do you think about using Indifference here instead of, like, a lead better or something like that? Mike has a very interesting delay pedal that's going on that I don't think I've heard him use in Indifference.
2: Yeah, that was definitely strange. i like Indifference here. Like, you're wanting more of, like, a more serious kind of tone to the show, you know, Indifference fits that a little bit, does give this crowd one more chance to kind of have a sing-along. We've seen that, you know, whenever there's more of a Tin Club presence back in the day, you would get songs like this. better is more of the full crowd pleaser, but like a little more of like an intimate feel to this. They wanted to give it a little more serious tone at the end. So yeah, Indifference fits along with that. I thought it was fun.
0: Well, that's going to get you to the end of the show right there.
2: Ed fucks it up a little bit too, right? He fucks it yeah. up at the beginning. It has to. he like, does. crowd has to help him out a little bit.
0: Yep. So, this is weird that we would read a caption from PJ20 at the end of the set, but it does kind of fit because you mentioned before that it was a full 10-club floor down at the bottom. Now, what does PJ20 say about this show? Which is interesting. First of all, I don't have my PJ20 book on me while doing this, and I also just didn't even think that they would have anything about this show because it just seemed to kind of be anonymous in a way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If everyone will turn to page 318 in their PJ 20 books, you'll find a little blurb about this with a quote from Ed says the who were in Hamburg, Germany, but Pete Townsend's brother, Paul, nephew, Ben, and a slew of Townsend's. If you're looking for a band name, slew of Townsend's is pretty good. Came to the gig and what is almost becoming a custom. We went back to their flat and talked around the kitchen table till morning about the power of music.
0: I like that. Yeah. It's very cool. All right, let's pick some moments from this. My number three is going to be a very, very solid version of Faithful. My number two, I'm going to say Marker in the Sand. I liked hearing this again. It's been a while, so Marker in the Sand gets the number two. My number one for the second week in the row, the reigning champion, so to speak, is Present Tense. Another mm, excellent, okay. excellent version of this song.
2: Yeah, Present Tense gets an honorable mention from me, but I think I spoiled it earlier. going to really be focused on that little yield mini section there. My number three is actually Immortality. We talked about how great a version this was, but my number two is going to be I Got Shit, and my number one is going to be Given to Fly.
0: All right. Now, there was a lot of hype into this about who was going to give it what rating. Simon predicted I'd give it a 7 out of 10. And I'm giving it a 7 <laughs> out of 10. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Simon. That,
1: that's
0: what I got. Yep, That's what yeah. I got. It, it's a fine show. I think that some of the performances outdid themselves a little bit, pacing-wise. And that's going to happen from this era, like disease had no business being overtly fast in that manner and i thought that state 11 and trust and why go were two that were hampered from that too but there are good performances from this it is a lot tougher when you aren't getting the bootleg experience the way you yeah, should the, be so or at least a video yeah yeah so now you're on the clock
2: yeah i mean i'm I mean, Simon, you fucking nailed it, dude. I'm giving this a six. I mean, just like I said, there's good performances in here. I love that given to fly through faithful section. Immortality and present tense are good, but this is just too disjointed, too weird at the end. It's just not going to be one that a lot of people are going to go back to who weren't there. not on that up a lot of shows. It's perfectly fine. But again, like I said, lack of video, lack of bootleg. Those don't do it any favors. So yeah, I can't give this any higher than a six.
0: Can I change my rating? No, I don't it give sucks, no! No, no, no! Simon, no. It's, it's, it's it. not. No, it's not until the end of the episode. I'm allowed mm-hmm. to change oh, it before we that. sign off. Yes, that's happened before. That's mm-hmm. happened before. I want well, to give this a near seven.
2: Once it goes to the other person, <laughs> a near seven, <laughs> a near seven. to the other person. Then uh, a near. Okay, okay, a near seven. That should is, be louder. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna officially mark that down as a near seven.
0: All right, we had too much fun on this show. Next week, I think we'll have just as much fun because we're going to be doing a really, really great gem of a show from the 2000 tour, going to Sarasota Springs up at SPAC. Very, very nice concert venue over in upstate New York. So very excited about that one. You guys should be excited about that too because it's a very, very, very good show. So I'll say the things we do every week. Now's the time. Just go on to Apple and Spotify, other places that you might listen to podcasts, and subscribe to us. Get the numbers up there and make sure that you get to see all the notifications when there is a brand new podcast episode coming out. And if you were kind enough to rate us on either of those platforms, please do. And also, please consider giving us a five-star rating because, please, we've earned it. You know, we've been at this for five years. People that have been doing stuff for five years don't suck usually, right?
2: We've put in our 10,000
0: hours. Oh, yeah. Probably. (laughs) So, yeah, you can do that. Or even on Apple, you can write us a little comment, and it's really not for us. It's for the next person that is looking for a Pearl Jam podcast to listen to that might be excited about something like this. Hey, wow, I get to listen to a podcast that covers a show that i went to in the past that i might not have a lot of memories of so might get some memories coming back at me that's happened before guys so it could happen to the next person to just keep spreading the love it's good karma and good juju all right let's say goodbye this may be the end we're here but not for much longer and although we may be parting ways miss you already miss you always well this show had a near avocado moment. I'm just trying to bring up random references from throughout this show, and it's, it's not quite working. So let me nearly say goodbye. A slew of Townsend's.